I'm Ronnie Eldridge, and welcome to Eldridge & Company's podcast called Keeping Relevant, up-to-date conversations about changing perspectives in our ever-changing world. No matter who we are or where we come from, we each grow older every year. But how we handle that process of aging is a different story, and that's our conversation today. Alice Fisher is a very experienced social worker, and Stephen Burkhart is a professor of social work. And like me, they're both over 65. They say it's time to challenge current perspectives and policies about aging. And that's just what they're doing, organizing a movement, one like the other great social justice movements of our times. So tell me about this movement. Maybe maybe before we talk about that, I saw that the last census figures for for people over 65 was something like 47.8 million people. Right. And that it increased in one year for two, uh, 215 I think to 216 of 1.6 million and it's going to just keep increasing because all the baby boomers are soon to be Oh, all of them, right. 65. Right. So I'm the first year. I am the first year of baby boomers, and I was born in 1946. So tell me about the movement. And I mean, when you begin to think about it, it's so overwhelming. You think this social movement matches other social movements of our times? I think it should, and hopefully we will make it match that, because one of the problems with Um, age prejudice or ageism is that it hasn't been treated seriously the way that racism or anti-Semitism or homophobia has been. And um, one of the reasons, so we are doing everything we can to put ageism on that same level with racism and other It's interesting you didn't mention the women's movement or the gay (laughs) rights movement because in a way that's what I think it's more similar to. Yes. And Steve, we've orga- you've organized forever. Since I was 17. Since I'm not, 17. not 17 anymore. One of those kids out there doing <clears throat> all that stuff. Well, so. Your point about uh, the number of people growing really is, is really a lot about what this is about. Can you imagine that in New York City, for example, 20% of the population gets less than 1.5% of the services within the city itself. The allocation uh, goes everywhere else except for older people. Now, we're not saying take it from younger people or other groups. But the idea that older people somehow don't matter, that we're not part of the future, is why politicians feel they can take it, take us for granted. And which is very much when you look at the history, I mean, everything happened with me, too. Yeah. Men could get away with what they right. could get away with because people wouldn't believe or pay attention so the to first, what women. The first step is really consciousness raising. Absolutely. And, and as you talk about it, aging has all different classes to it, doesn't it? I mean, 65 is not the cutoff. No, not at all. How could people from 65 to say people are living well into their 90s today? How could they be the same? You can't say 65. Okay, everybody over 65 is now uh, categorized as a senior. Well, somebody that's 90 is not the same as somebody that's 70. I'll never forget when I was coming into the country, I guess, on a custom (laughs) slip or something. I looked at the eight. They asked your age. Right. 15 to something, 25 to something, 60 over. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then you fell, you just fell off the cliff. Right. Well, with but- ageism, it's, uh, it's more than that. I uh, had to go to a dermatologist who is also a plastic surgeon 
almost all the women in the room were women in their 40s for plastic surgery. That's about ageism. There's ageism for caregivers who are the worst paid along with uh, child care workers. They're the worst paid because they're just taking care of old people. That's ageism. So your issue about the number of categories, spot on. There are a number of categories where ageism begins to appear again and again. It's just that people until very recently didn't realize how big an issue this really is. This is not just an add-on. This is a real deal. You called it the aging industrial complex. Right. Because right. there's so much dependent on age. Is that right. What? When you see that, um, I, I asked one of the academics that does research, he hasn't come back to me yet, if he had any handle on how much older people contribute to the GPA. Because mm -hmm. when I th think of, first of all, the whole healthcare industry, the the long-term care industry that everything has like quadrupled in the last 10 years so just by that by getting old we're generating you know uh right. income so let's break it down by ages because there are people who are have been working and they need to they either love to work or they need to work they reach a certain age and it seems to me they cost more money to an employer because of the benefits and and um that they've had from way back since some things right. have been cut. But anyway, working is essential to a lot of people. That's a big, that is the big issue and that it, we've been working yeah, on this year. God forbid you lose your job. So tell me about that. Well, basically people, you don't have to be that old, people over 50 are losing their jobs. But if you're out of work and your life expectancy is 95 and they they retire you <laughs> at 60 or 65, you still have another 30 years to live, and you'll probably be fine for another 10 or 15. So by pushing us out of the workforce... And you can't, it, you can't find another job. No. No. That's almost impossible. Well, one of the big shift from when, uh, Ronnie, we were on your, sh your TV show between then and now has been the anger and frustration and fear that older people are beginning to have that's all about work. Uh, we had uh, a little wine and cheese party where our radical age movement gets together every quarter with people to talk about how we're doing, what's up, and we invite new members. One woman said to me, a brand new member, said, you know, two years ago I was upper middle class and now I'm on food stamps. There was a woman there who's a, a well-known cellist who now is saying, you know what I worry about? I'm afraid I'm about to be evicted. The combination of costs and the downsizing of older people's job possibilities has created a crisis that's finally emerged that we don't think is going to go away for, for some time soon. The other, on the other hand, you hear a lot of talk in Washington about how Social Security <sighs> is going to be bankrupt, and that's so it's all... <laughs> We don't want to believe that, no. but it is all long-term, and it is always a political issue. Well, there are ways of making Social Security secure. Yeah, let's not But go nobody ahead. wants to go there. It's like the third rail. Right. However, eventually, they're going to have to. However, eventually, they're going to have to do something because they can't cut. Social Security isn't even up to the cost of living the way it is now. Right. If they cut that, they're going to create a whole subclass of poor old people. Right. And there uh, there are so many, uh, I'm talking about women now, because right. so many either single women or or widowed women right. who were used to having two incomes who now find themselves on one income, and it's a very precarious situation, right? Yeah. 
They can't pay the rent or and, the mortgage. And or, even if, it, that's right, even if you own the property, you can't pay the taxes right. and the mortgage payment. Right. Going to Target, so. going to Home Depot, going to Lowe's, going to any box store, and what you're going to find are much older people back working, not as for so-called pin money at all. They're doing it for rent money and for food. Um, one of the scare, scary things out there, the everybody says, as you said, Social Security is bloated. Well, the average bloated Social Security income in America is eighteen hundred dollars a month. Figure out what that—that's less than twenty-five thousand dollars a year. Try and live so on that. So try and live on that in New York. Try and live on that anywhere. Anywhere, yeah. And yeah. you're not. And for those women that you're mentioning. They're, they have two Social Security their payments coming in when their husband's alive. He dies. They get one, not both Social Security right. payments, and suddenly their income's cut by at least a third, if not 40%. It leads to the fear, frustration, and anger that's now emerging that uh, we're quite aware of. So the fact that it's a social kind of thing, psychological too, because people are mar marginalized and isolated. Right. And uh, depressed, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had two events. Um, well, we had three events on the workforce. Plus, I attended several that other organizations ran. And um, last week, we had a uh, employment fair for older adults that we co-sponsored with Senator Liz Kruger's office. And 450 plus people showed up. Mm. We were overwhelmed, but it showed that there's a huge problem out there. Huge. And people didn't, they didn't expect to get a job there, but the few people that walked away happy is because they got a hard lead. They got a hard lead, or um, they're just frustrated, and the best comment I heard all day was, at least somebody's trying to do something about this. And they saw other people in the same yes. predicament, which I think does help. Yes. Don't you think? Yeah. I, I do think that issue, the psychological issue is a real one. People are embarrassed by their age when they turn 40. From the time they're 40 to 80, people no longer in mixed company, which means anybody younger than you, uh, in mixed company are willing to say their ages. Um, that speaks to what's the fear about? I know I had to go through this. I've told the story a thousand times of getting up out, you know, somebody offering me a seat on the subway and me getting incredibly upset which is right about the time Alice spoke to me about the radical age movement. What was my upset about? Was it the fear of marginalization? Was it the fear that I wouldn't be taken seriously? What was it in me that I had to confront? And Alice has been at the forefront of helping us pay attention to this, where we have groups come together, and we really recommend people, you have a group of friends, don't get together and, and make fun of being older. Think about why is it that you will you allow yourself to be made fun of. Sure, the birthday cards are funny. And if you follow the logic of the birthday card, though, women are old biddies and men are old codgers, and that's all we are. And, yeah, let's laugh, let's have a sense of humor, and let's not let it traipse into the kind of indifference that we know now really exists. I think you once talked about an accident, and they report in the paper an elderly man, 72 years old. Right. Well, 62, but, 62. you know, and everybody was like, where the elderly come right. from? They're, they're also, it must be frustrating for you, Steve, as a professor. Um, I'm, I'm frustrated because I've also lived through all these movements, and I... I see young people and people, you know, into the 
the anti the anti Trump, I guess, or right. other mm-hmm. kinds of things, or peace and stuff right. like that. And I have a lot to offer them. Right. But I feel that a they don't want to hear it, and I, then I think about history. What do we learn from history, and why do we cut off elderly advice, or I didn't even want to call it elderly right. advice from people. Right. In well, the 70s or 80s. There is one thing about that. Do you know what I mean? The yeah. mille- millennial people are also not taken seriously. Whenever anybody uses the word millennial, it's always a, a bad word. It's something they're selfish, they're, they're disinterested, all that kind of stuff. So what I've experienced, though, is the need for to show respect to them in order to guarantee respect for me. I found an Occupy. I was very involved in Occupy. And there were a lot of older people who came in. Two-thirds of people over 60, which of course included me, lectured younger people rather than worked with younger people. So I think there's a there's a two-way street here where we have to demand that we be taken seriously and get respect. Alice and uh, a couple of other people coined the term, we're part of the future too. And we expect to be part of that. We have to demand it, and we have to show respect for younger people. And then I found that they take us quite—they're willing to take us seriously if they're given some genuine respect. I, I agree with you, but it, and it's also that older people have to go, should go more out of their way mm-hmm. to have relationships with the younger people. It's good for them. It is very good for them. It's important. You know, um, I have a friend who's a professor. And she had to, she's our age, there were two other professors who were young, and she went before a group of students, and it was the students would pick which professor's class they were going to be in. And she said, I knew they weren't going to pick me. And sure enough, like, two people picked her, and they picked the younger people. She had all the wisdom and experience because she'd been teaching for years, and knew much more, but the young people liked the faces that didn't have any wrinkles on it. But like the other way, as Steve said, a lot of the new things that come up are from younger people. So it's important. And it's just important in general because you don't feel as isolated as an older person if you don't have young friends, I think. But, you know, this is really a movement, but it shouldn't be just of people who are 65 and over. It should be a big political movement because the effect on public policy is almost overwhelming. It is. And it's happening because here we are, the boomers. We were the radicals and screamers and protesters of the 60s. And now all of a sudden we find ourselves being kind of marginalized and pushed away. And I think it's just the demographics of this age group that said, we're just not going to let this happen. I'm not a boomer. Okay. Yeah. I come from before. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I am. Um, I, do you have political leaders who are over sixty-five who are joining you in this? Yes. Yes. Because yeah. you're going to have to do a lot of political lobbying. Right. Eventually, yes. One and, of the things that we're doing now is um, Bobby Sackman, for example, who's yeah. a well-known age activist here in the city. Um, has many connections I've to them. I've known as her does, since she was young. Yeah. <laughs> as does she works, Alice. With, I mean, she works I think, with us a lot. I think the two of them are, uh, are real leaders in the, in the eventual legislative lobbying work that we want to do. That said, it goes back to your issue of consciousness raising and getting people's attention. And so in this immediate period, for example, the rally we're having on May 15th in Union Square Park, 
um, about age justice is really to focus the reality on the injustice of how older people are treated and the justice that we demand. So um, we want eventually to get politicians. We want to get, we're going to, of course, begin to get political people involved. But before that, we want to get our people, meaning anyone who's committed to age justice, to show up. We have, for example, Margaret Chin will be coming. She's somebody who's demonstrated a consistency on this issue forever where there's uh, there's no question about uh, her commitment. So having her speak is one thing, but we also, uh, in this, we wanted to make sure that Alice or Bobby, Ashton Applewhite, people, and other people not known to anyone who have stories of marginalization, of stories of being laid off, that for the first time in the United States, there's going to be a rally for age justice where the the stories of injustice and the stories of discrimination related to age and the pride in being older are going to be the focus of the event. From that, we need to build from there to, to do exactly what you're saying. But we need to get people's attention first and then build from there. So how are you doing that? Well, we spent, you know, two years doing nothing but education and awareness, everything. We encouraged consciousness raising groups. We had events to where we had professionals talk about ageism in their own fields and how that works. And now we felt like, okay, we're ready to make a statement of our own. We. Unfortunately, we didn't know that our administration would be the administration we were having when we started <laughs> Radical Age. And so we felt that we would walk, march and walk and rally with other groups that were protesting not enough health care, you know, not enough food security, not enough, because all those are ageism issues. How... Will you be unhappy if I project into the future about what should change? Not Go at right all. ahead. <laughs> so I think about our programs for the aging. Right. First of all, can't we think of a different word? Oh, oh absolutely. Oh. Rename <clears throat> the departments of aging. Right. <laughs> the whole aging field, which is what it's called, is based on important work that needs to be done that people have dedicated themselves to. So don't hear me saying don't do that work. I have colleagues and friends who do really meaningful work. It's all around case management. It's all around the elderly who are frail. It's all around um, people who are shut-ins. It's all around the quintessential definition of the of the elderly person who, in fact, does have need and may be frail, which, of course, does occur. Um, that said, though, the reason why it attracts a very small number of people rather than the large one it deserves is the language is all frailty, illness, and eventual death. And what we're saying is, as Alice talked about a long time ago, it's about vitality, it's about longevity, it's about inclusion, it's about respect. So these kinds of things are what we're building for this movement, which is a very different focus than... than uh, um, as you're suggesting, then the aging itself. We're right. not against the support that people need, but it truly must be expanded and reframed. I mean, when you look at the New York Times, it has a, an age where you have to re retire if you're the editor-in-chief, right. I think. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't I know. I think yeah. that's true. But the forced retirement right. 
it's just really outrageous. Well, they forced Judge Lippman to step down because he reached, what, 70? Oh, that's the judges, right. And we were like, oh, my God, how could they do that? He was, he is such a great judge. But there was obviously a rule on the books that said you couldn't be a judge after 70 or 75. What percentage of people over 65 are not covered by Medicare or Medicaid? Do we know that? Uh, mostly they're undocumented immigrants. I see. So, of course, if you didn't pay into the system with Medicare, right. Medicaid is different. But if you didn't work and pay into the system on the books, the whole bit, you, there is no Medicare or Social Security. You've, we paid for that. Yeah. <laughs> we paid for that. Right. So that is a huge problem even separate from this because the majority of elderly people now are starting to be Im- the immigrant population. And if you were self-employed all the time, then you're not covered you you don't get social security. Right. But no no well, I don't hopefully know. you paid true? in okay. because I have been on and off self-employed and my husband's self-employed. Mm-hmm. He he still paid in his social security yeah, because good. he wanted to right. you know, get it later. Get it later on. So that's um so that's not the issue. But you know, like we said, even Social Security is not it's barely, to... barely. You know, Steve said something like sixteen hundred or eighteen hundred. I worked with people that got nine hundred dollars a month, eleven hundred dollars a month. They worked in very low-level paying jobs, or they worked, they they cleaned, or they did other manual labor where they it wasn't on the books, and so they didn't pay into Social Security. Those people, there are a lot of those people, and. We're seeing, and this relates to why this movement over time has to include all generations. The gig economy is is a joke uh, in terms of Social Security because the gig is hey, you get hired for a gig. As one of the people at our um, at our wine and cheese event uh, said, you know, hey. The gig economy is the one time they want an older person. They hire us for the holidays. They hire us for um, when back to school, and they lay us off. We have almost no benefits. We have nothing that allows us any sense of security. Well, if you're 30 years old and you're a contractor, everything Alice is talking about, about you have to remember, you're not making enough to begin with. The rent's too damn high, right? Yeah. So you can't, you're paying your rent. You're paying for your food. There's no uh, inexpensive place to buy food. So you say, well, I'll put off Social Security until later. Well, I can't go into a 401k now. Well, that's later. Well, later's going to catch up to people if we don't deal with this as part of the fight for age justice. So, yes, right now at our, our rally on May 15th, this is going to be about getting the attention of people to pay attention to those of us who are perceived as and are old but proud to be old and it is about bringing along younger people to be aware that ageism is going to impact them too because the people who will be discarded will be them when they turn 50. There are architects who are who are work on uh, new versions of housing for you know yeah. uh, congreg- I mean where you have mixed pe- mixed families mixed, single people right. old people young right. people and that's what we really have to work towards right yes. an integrated an integrated culture right there's a wonderful civility. book out now called the longevity economy and one of the things that he describes in this book which i never really thought of i knew i had problems with the issue of all of these um, I don't know what to call them, old age communities. You know, a lot of our parents went to Florida. Well, 
those are the last sanctioned segregated communities in this country because they're segregated by age. And what those people didn't realize what they were doing, they were signing up for the golden years. They were going to play tennis and golf and blah, blah, blah. But what they did was they separated themselves from society. So in a way, they contributed to their own marginalization by going into those communities which aren't mixed communities where there are no pets and kids and bicycles and all of that. So it's something that we have to think about. We were sold, a bill, Americans were sold a bill of goods about those communities, mm -hmm. and they just ran for it. So what we have to do is eliminate that line between 65 and over and 65 right. and Absolutely. younger and integrate this whole culture and society. It's so right. interesting when you begin to think about the possible future right. results of it. It's a, it's a great point. Ageism is the one ism that will finally unite us all because the issues of racism, of sexism, of homophobia are all out there and people live in their identities that they have to struggle on these issues and other social movements. One of the things that we become conscious of is that ageism is an opportunity to join and unify as long as we respect and look at the reality that some people have lived with different forms of oppression their entire lives. When we talk about, the, as Alice, you were talking about the Social Security of who gets paid the, the least and those who get none undocumented immigrants. Well, who are they? They're black and brown people. Who are the ones getting $1,100 or $900? They're child care workers. Well, who are they? They were black and brown immigrants. Um, so the issues of race, the issues of gender, the issues of sexuality do play into this that need to be respected because within that classification, there's some of us like me, I'm a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant from New England who goes back to the pilgrims. Um, I've never experienced uh, a form of uh, oppression until the beginning of this. And please don't hear me suggesting that I've had a difficult life or that these issues impact me the way they do others. That said, these are things that Alice and we and our and Bobby and so many other people and, and Ashton and others are working on. We recognize the importance to make sure that the uh, the respect and the, the props are given to people who have struggled with this, who now have an opportunity with us to help educate us and lead us on how we do this fight. Tell me once more about the rally. Okay, so on May 15th in Union Square, um, at 5 o'clock, we are holding a rally for age justice. It is, as far as we know, the first rally of its kind anywhere in this country, maybe in this world. And we want to, we hope that there will be young people, old people, middle-aged people, the whole span of people um, attending and listening to the stories. The, the most important speakers are going to be the actual people who are a diverse group of people who are going to tell their story of how their life was impacted by ageism. So the, t the date and time again? Okay, May 15th, 5 o'clock, Union Square. And is there a website people can go to to follow all of this information? Yeah. They could go to our website, uh, radicalagemovement.org and when you get there right on the homepage you'll see the uh, ad for the rally and you click on that and it takes you to the rally page which has all the information about this. Thank One you. quick thing about that, there's 30 co-sponsors yes. um, 
that's growing all the time and following in the footsteps of the lessons learned from the uh, from the gay movement on marriage equality we have rallies vigils and events happening in Provincetown in Nebraska in Hawaii in Mexico in Philadelphia um, and a small group in Arkansas all of whom are having their own event in their own way for AIDS justice on the same day. Oh, that's so great. Well, I hope you'll co- we'll be able to talk about what happened at the rally, and you'll come back again. So thank you, Alice Fisher and Steve Burkhardt, and uh, thank you, people, for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, and thank you to producer Beverly Crane and engineers Sarah Fishman and Jack Horowitz. I'm Ronnie Eldridge, Keeping Relevant.